Don't tell me words don't matter. Because our words have creative power. On Open to Interpretation, host Amy Young is joined by PLU faculty and educators from different academic disciplines to consider a single word commonly used in the news, on social media, and on college campuses. It ain't the word! It's the context in which the word is said. Through debate and dialogue, Open to Interpretation reminds us that rarely, if ever, can a word's meaning be reduced to a single understanding. At last, we're going to have a dialogue about the power of words. And now, here's Dr. Amy Young. Welcome to Open to Interpretation. I'm Amy Young, Associate Professor of Communication at Pacific Lutheran University. And joining me today are my guests, Professor J.P. Avila, Associate Professor of Art and Design, and Corey Brown, Assistant Professor of Business. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Hi. Good to see you this morning. So the way that we work this is before we jump into our word, which is today kind of a toughie, we do some warm-up questions just to get the juices flowing. JP, what is your go-to breakfast, and did you have it this morning? Mm, well, my go-to breakfast is usually uh, eggs and toast, and today I kind of had it. My daughter wanted eggs, toast, and bacon mixed into it, um, and so we... Smart girl. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. You can't say no to bacon. No. <laughs> it's the gateway meat. <laughs> Corey, go-to breakfast, and did you have it this morning? You no, know, it's usually a cold cereal buffet. Um, I will bring out three or four boxes and pour little pieces or little bits of cereal in there, and uh, yes, I did have that this morning. A mixer of it sorts. It is. Well, not all at the same time. I mean, I'll have oh, a small portion. One portion. And then go and to then... the next portion and go to the uh, next portion. So three or four bites of three or four different types of cereal, and yes, I did today. Have you ever had the mini boxes of all of the sugary I, things, I like Fruit Loops? Absolutely. And the, yeah, that's a fave. I heard that the millennials don't like cereal because there's it's too much work. <laughs> I think that was like on NPR this weekend or something like that. Cereal and what is part too of it much is work. work? It was the washing the dishes. Uh, at the and so the alternative? I don't know. Mm. I, I have a full, uh, you know, like uh, extravaganza for breakfast. So I, I have no idea what it's like to have only a dish to wash. Wow. <laughs> I don't I don't even really know how to respond to that. <laughs> Okay, Corey, would you rather sing a song or perform a dance in a room full of complete strangers? Uh, most definitely sing a song. And I'm not good at that, but uh, dancing is uh, about as far away from my, my bailiwick as possible. So. Do you have a go-to tune? Uh, not really, uh, not really. While I have done a little bit of karaoke, uh, small, tiny bars in Japan. Oh, um, nice. And, uh, but, uh, but no, I don't have a go-to tune. JP? Um, are the lights on or off? <laughs> you know, I'm going to go with on. This is full out. Oh, yeah. Um, Singing or dancing? Well, since I hate the sound of my own voice, I think I would probably go with um, dancing. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that even though you hate the sound of your own voice, you are here yeah. this morning. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is an odd thing to do for people who hate the sound of their own voice. If you could turn any book into a movie... And no, it would be a good movie. Which book would you choose, JP? Hmm. There's a book that I always have my students read, especially when they get to that phase of they're either questioning their design, their design education or uh, purpose. It's called The Cheese Monkey. And it's by Chip Kidd, who is this amazing graphic designer who designed a lot of book covers mm -hmm. um, for Knopf and 
he uh, it is somewhat semi autobiographical about his experience of going to art school, and I won't spoil it. But if you find the book, the book translates visually very well into perhaps a um, motif for the movie. So think Wes Anderson, Charlie Kaufman. Yeah movie about the book called the cheese monkey the cheese monkey the cheese monkey also, and if you, if you do look for band it name, the cheese monkey. yeah and if you do look for it um try to find the hardback version okay the paperback version uh leaves a lot to be desired okay I'm writing that down Corey. Any I'm, book into it. You know, I'm stumped a little You're bit stumped. with this. In fact, the first uh, the first authors that came to mind were uh, all of the Bourne books that I used to read 20 years ago, which yeah. were then turned into yeah. movies. And uh, I found those absolutely fascinating uh, books, the, the detail that were put behind them, and then they were turned into movies. Yeah, uh, and so they were I, good ones, too. I thought they were, no yeah. question. So I love all of Anthony Bourdain's books, and people keep trying to turn them into movies, uh, and the movies are awful. Yeah. Awful, yeah. awful, awful. So I guess if it could be possible to actually make Kitchen Confidential or even Medium Raw a good movie, that's mm-hmm. what I would want to see. My first, my first answer would have been The Martian, but they already made that. Yeah, and, and it was a really good movie. Yeah, I, I read that book uh, last year and was enthralled with it. The bulk of our time then today is going to be spent on this word, which today is failure. And that is a, a word that we maybe try not to talk about, uh, but the idea is to take a word that's kind of common in public discourse or on social media or on campus and to pull it apart. I'm going to start by asking each of you how you would define failure. Corey, let's start with you. Well, one could certainly go to the opposite or the antonym, the lack of success. Right. But uh, but really, it's some roadblock, some uh, inability to uh, to meet the expectations that you are striving to 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 get. Okay, JP, how do you define failure? Failure is what happens when you're working. Failure is <laughs> is the things that I do on a daily basis. So t- to me, failure is uh, trying something out, finding that it's not working, and then learning from that mistake and moving forward with that. Okay. That's the positive side of failure. If it you actually can side, yeah, iterate yeah. and uh, and move forward after a failure. When I have a failure, I will have a stuck period. Yeah, sure. But then eventually it's, uh, I've got to work this out. I will figure it out. Getting I will unstuck. Figure it out. Yeah. Well, good for you to have that persistence. Yeah. 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 How do you get unstuck? I mean, how can, for instance, failure become a path to success? I think in the things that I've done in, in my life, when I have come across or when I have experienced failure, the thing that has always moved me forward is has been determination, is this uh, this will or drive that I will not let this be the end of me or I will not let this be the thing that stops me from doing whatever it is. So I think it's that drive and determination that has moved okay. me forward f- from failure. Mm-hmm. But I also love the the idea that we learn from the experiences that we have and the only way that we can learn from experiences or that, that I, at least I see that are teaching moments or, or thought provoking opportunities for reflection later on 
is from failure, is from learning that I tried it this way and it didn't work. And so I tried it a different way. It didn't work. And there's usually, you know, like plan A through W and then eventually there it is. So for me, having that opportunity to to really go in and experience all the different ways that it could have worked and didn't allows me to then go back and say, oh, okay, well, at least I know that didn't happen that way or I've, I approached it from all different angles. Right. And sometimes it just happens on the first try and oh, ta-da. So JP, where did the, uh, where does the drive and determination come from? You know, working with uh, my own children, teenagers and young adults, mm-hmm. sometimes they, they don't have that nope. drive and determination to be able to push beyond that incremental failure. So where did it come from? I, I think of it as two different things. Uh, I grew up Catholic and so I have a lot of determination of strong will. Mm-hmm. I'm also a very stubborn person, and I find that, uh, speaking of children, I find that in my own in daughter that I can see her and I butting heads when we both want to do something a specific way, and so going back and forth from that. So that determination is a politer word for mm-hmm. stubbornness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's almost more of a personality trait. I think so. For you. Yeah, at least for me. For instance, if I've seen students that have had that sort of determination, it's that they want to know what the answer is. They want that right answer. They want either a grade or they want um, the satisfaction of getting it right. So if it's a trait, is it teachable? I think in the case of wanting to get it right, it is. I think in the case of wanting some sort of success and fulfillment, it's not. It Mm. is something that you inherently have. Yeah. Yeah. It's an intrinsic quality that you either have or you don't. But you can also be rewarded for failure and um, in that I try and try and eventually I will get it. I'm wondering, I, th- I think these are good questions that Corey's kind of throwing back at you because I'm thinking about my own professional failures. My personal failures are uh, legion, but my professional failures, I'm thinking when I s- first started trying to publish my writing, you have to develop a really thick skin about mm-hmm. failure. You also have to be able to figure out and it's it is kind of a problem solving issue like you're talking about JP where okay this thing didn't work is it this thing that wasn't working to try to sort of suss out the mystery of what about your essay is such a problem for people or something and not change the parts that are good about it so what do you control and what's sort of the the thing that you adjust so i think Part of that is curiosity, like you're talking about, and problem solving. But, you know, part of it is, I guess, figuring out how to develop a thick skin. I don't know how you do that. Well, you know, there are different parts of that. Uh, I I look at, um, so there was a study that I published this last year, all about failure. In fact, it was oriented around entrepreneurial failure. And in this study, we had several hundred people who, um, uh, who we just asked to describe entrepreneurial failure. And to talk about it, it was just that open-ended in terms of, of the data gathering, and uh, and we ended up with thousands of of opportunities to code their statements, mm-hmm. and um, 
and we found a few interesting things. There, uh, we were able to actually cluster their statements into the three major categories. One was very much an external attribution. Uh, the, the, the market was really bad. Uh, the, uh, the economy really hurt my opportunity to be successful in my business. So a little scapegoating, maybe. Yeah, there certainly was. But there were two other clusters that formed that, uh, that were really quite interesting. One was very much an internal or a personal piece, uh, uh, suggesting that the entrepreneur doesn't, uh, doesn't, they just don't have it. They don't have the emotional capacity. They can't actually do it. And then probably the third piece that I hadn't really ever considered, uh, a relatively large cluster of these statements were related to uh, to an interpersonal piece where uh, my partner and I didn't get along. Uh, we, we struggled on the, the personnel front. Um, and so, so this study, which included both folks who were uh, who had entrepreneurial experience and, and many who did not. Uh, it was just interesting how we were able to frame them and cluster their statements into a variety of different areas. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, it actually was. Some of the findings that came out of it, uh, th there's actually those who have um, those who have entrepreneurial experience actually talk differently than those who do not. Um, they tend to use a lot more of those personal and interpersonal uh, attributions mm -hmm. or the explanations of, of failure than, than those who, who don't necessarily have it. And, uh, and so just they, they've, they're able to absorb it and, and just give it more personal meaning. Even a very negatively con a negative thing such as failure, mm -hmm. they're able to absorb it themselves. And maybe the last interesting finding on that one is not only were those people uh, able to express in personal and interpersonal ways, but they also rated failure considerably higher for the very same As reasons that you are. More important? Yeah. Uh, uh, more favorable. More favorable. It, yes. Mm -hmm. it, they, were, they were happier with the, uh, with the, um, uh, with the, the, the failure experience. And, and we asked them to talk about it. Why did you do that? Interesting. And the reason really comes right back down to what JP was sharing and is that they learned from the experience. There was growth oriented to the experience. And so those people with the experience they were able to not only talk about it differently, but they were able to take this very negative thing and see it in a more favorable light. You know, one of the things that we talk about on campus related to this in some ways is retention of students, persistence, Right. Persistence is the word that is sort of the buzzword for the difference between students who stay and go. You know, to some degree, that's not true. Of course, people leave for all kinds of reasons and they may go on to finish successfully someplace else. But the notion of persistence, I think, is part of this. Right. Because you have to have there has to be some motivation to keep trying. Right. Have you thought about or do you build that into your teaching ways for people to fail without failing the entire class, for instance, <laughs> which is certainly always a possibility. I think for art and design, the built in failure is within the critique. So there's a chance to come in and say, here's what I have thus far, whether that is uh, it's almost done or what they perceive as almost done, or uh, I've hit a roadblock and I can't move on from here. So giving them that chance to say, okay, here's what's working. Here's what's not working. Here's how to move forward with it. And I know you do a lot of check-ins with people mm -hmm. pretty yeah. regularly um, in order to give those critiques. Have you 
developed a voice for those critiques that you feel like helps people take the criticism and move forward? Mm. I think my my former students in the, the last 11 years, the students that I've had in, in the past, the way past, have said that I was a much harder critique uh, giver than I am now. And that they appreciate the the type of, of push that I gave them. I would use that air quotes if, if you could see that on there. But I would hold them into some sort of accountability that was greater than they had expected at the time. Mm-hmm. And my current students, I think I'm a little bit more lenient on and that I ask more questions and I'm, I'm trying to pull out that nugget from them to allow them to think, oh, I can do it this way. I'm like, so oh, okay, then participatory try almost yeah, and yeah. determining what is or is not working. Yeah. Whereas before, I think my critique was either it's not working and here's what's the problem. And um, or if they gave the critique, I would then be asking them questions of, so this is what you're telling me it's doing. This is what you're saying it has. This is so forth. And then allowing them to answer yes or no. And then kind of feeling that yes or no as, oh, that's a bad answer to that question. Or, oh, I should have thought more about how this would have reflected in, in that way. Whereas now I have a bigger conversation of, so I'm thinking that it should be this color, but I'm wondering about what are some other reasons that we could change the color for this and then having it participatory. Okay. Yeah. Is that a disciplinary issue, Corey? Can you do that in your classes? Do you feel like there is a way to allow people room to fail without, or that they feel like they could without tanking? You know, I'm moderating a, uh, a panel at a conference next week that's on this very subject. Interesting. And, uh, and, the, and what we're examining is how extended experiential learning, uh, semester-long or multi-semester um, learning experiences actually provide sufficient time for both the failure, a meaningful failure, that, uh, that, then, um, that then they can recover from. And so, so in a way, we want to create the setting, the environment where they actually can fail because academics is a very safe place to fail, mm-hmm. but perhaps more importantly, provide sufficient time for them to struggle through the recovery process mm-hmm. with sufficient coaching and with the interaction that uh, JP is addressing here. So, for example, this last semester, I, I taught an entrepreneurship course. They started companies. They built products. They had to sell the products. They struggled through this idea of, of nobody's buying my product, and they had to go through changes to the products that they were doing. Uh, and so they went through this, this multi-week, month um, uh, process of of trying to get a business off the ground. And uh, and they all made sales. They were, it was online. You could go to their stores. You could buy their products. And... Uh, and, and the, the response from the students really was, um, I, I didn't realize that I could recover from the failures that I was experiencing so early on. I thought it was going to be a lost cause. Mm-hmm. But their ability to come back, because we gave them months to really overcome that, was, uh, was I think, a key to this exercise. In the end, it was kind of fun because uh, several of the teams made enough money. We donated large checks to, uh, to some oh, charities great. in the local nice. area. Nice. That's so cool. I wonder if time is a factor. Very One much of the so. things oh, that yeah. you're I'm talking about, right, that um, I a uh, secret for listeners, uh, JP and I teach a lot of classes together and we spend a lot of time doing these critiques 
but we do them. We try to do them regularly enough that nobody has gotten so far afield mm. that he or she cannot come back to the fold and <laughs> recover in some way. But part of it, right, I think, is that if we're super pressed for time, I wonder if we're less likely to try to figure it out or just abandon the project. Abandon or fix it for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As a faculty. And I think that's true. I think as a faculty member, it's hard to hold yourself back. And I'm also a parent. So I think about Mm -hmm. this, too, to hold myself back from trying to fix it for someone else. No, no. If only you did this. And I found um, as my daughter started getting older and I had that sort of fixing mentality as a parent, that I saw that translate into the classroom as well. Oh, if you just do, how about if I just show you how to do it? Let me let me just do it like this. How about and if I, would I do catch, it once and then you try to do it? <laughs> and I actually decided that at one point I couldn't get out of that mentality. So what I would do is I would show them, for instance, like I teach Illustrator, and I would show them how to do this specific technique. But then I would delete the thing that I just did and start a brand new file for them so they couldn't use couldn't what copy I used. it yeah, yeah. I was like here's what it did now you do it so that, that kind of worked for a while I would say and uh, I've gotten past the uh, doing it for them and giving examples tutorials I'm, I'm much more of the shower not doer anymore as a parent <laughs> is that a temptation for you Corey do you feel like to fix less so maybe less for so. the same reason yeah. uh, parenting does take you down the path of letting uh, letting a few mistakes happen here and there you use the word to, to go far afield. Uh, I actually think there's a great value in letting them go far afield. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, so where you talk a little bit about regular critique, um, maybe holding off on that critique just a little bit longer to get to that point of, of despair almost, you know, mm-hmm. to, to a point there we've got despair and hope, which could be translated a bit into this idea of success and failure. Sure. You just want that emotional peace uh, in our training here because once they leave the the, the the safe walls of our institution, it's not quite so safe. Mm-hmm. And, true. Uh, and and if, if you can get them that far and then be able to cast the line out there and pull them back in a bit, uh, I, I think that's powerful pedagogy. Yeah. Have they come back and, and mentioned that to you, that that ability to to fail and then understand how they failed and recover from that? That was important. So not necessarily in the one class I referenced earlier, but uh, but yes, from a mentoring standpoint, those are the kinds of letters that I love to get uh, that uh, that people are highlighting. Um, you know, past students have highlighted, wow, uh, I, I was surprised what you caused us to go through mm-hmm. actually is relevant to what I'm experiencing <laughs> in so-called real life. Yeah. Oh, I think that's true. And I, I, I usually begin my classes by talking about the fact that this is the closest to a laboratory setting you're ever going to be in. So if you have the opportunity to experiment, consider this the opportunity. You're not going to get fired, right? I'm not asking you to win the business or land the deal. Yeah, uh, You can go ahead and try. I had this classic little exercise that I've done a few times. Most everyone can do a sit-up, right? But but if you get someone out to do a sit-up and you put a pole between back behind their neck and in front of their elbows and say, do a sit-up with nobody holding their feet, most people can't, can't do, do it. it. Yeah. And, so, uh, and so you set them up and say, hey, can anyone do a sit-up? Oh, yeah, of course. And then they come up and they just just that one little piece there, and they're just struggling mightily to do a single sit-up and uh, use that simple experience to, uh, to, to highlight how even 
small failures uh, shouldn't be discouraging and move forward. Right. Yeah. Do you think that the stigma around grading, I mean, the fact that that people are so uh, concerned about and grading at the college level, but let's say evaluation professionally, right, that that part of all professional activity is in some ways receiving evaluations, whether those things are formal or informal, yearly or more frequently, whatever it is, right? Is there a stigma around sort of failing your evaluation that changes the way people see failure? I mean, that makes people see failure as consistently negative? That's funny. I actually had this experience in my classroom uh, just yesterday. We had a critique and I had mentioned this to two students who I made a comment and they took it and just started going down this, uh, this downhill spiral of all the things that was wrong with their project. And I stopped them. I said, no, don't worry about that. Worry about what was right about the project. Worry about what we, uh, what you were able to accomplish. And then they started asking me those questions of, well, what would have done? What we, and I'm like, would you rather get a good grade or would you rather get it right? You, know, you can have one or the other. And I've been thinking about that since that critique uh, because I told them you'd want to get the good grade. You should want to get the good grade. Sure. But the important thing is to get it right. And the reason why I, I gave that that example to them was because you can chase the grade. You can do whatever I tell you to do because I told you that's what you're going to get. If you do this, you'll get the A. So if I tell you to turn it green, turn it green. But to do it right is based off of the research, is based off of your experience, is based off of that gut feeling of if I if I don't turn it green, but I turn it yellow, if I, I'm just using examples here, but if I turn it yellow, it's going to bring the audience. It's going to make a successful product. It's going to be the right choice, the right design. Because they're starting to connect up research with behavior. Yeah. 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 As well as experience as well. They're, they're learning that I've tried green before in the past and it's just not working, but I've noticed that yellow is a better solution to that. Learning and, to adjust the lens through yes. which you view the project. Mm -hmm. That stigma um, causes, uh, I think it creates more conservative behavior, more norming behavior. Sure. And sometimes we actually would prefer something exactly opposite of norming behavior, getting students to, to push beyond it. Uh, interesting pieces. Um, we, we looked at uh, a whole series of, of entrepreneurship-oriented books, and we just looked for the words failure in, this, uh, in these books. And in the, it was always addressed near the end of chapter one as something to be avoided at all costs mm -hmm. is okay. the way it was addressed. That's and, why you're buying the book, so yeah. that you can avoid failing, right? <laughs> and then not addressed for the rest of the book. Uh, maybe a few pieces. Oh, by the way, there's such a thing as serial entrepreneurs, people who will fail once and then try it again and keep trying it again. Uh, and, and I think that's actually a disservice to our students is to not address this subject head on and suggest, be, the suggest that failure is a part of the, the growth. It's part of the process of, of becoming a professional or becoming an, uh, a contributing member of society for that matter. Um, so shame on our textbook writers. <laughs> There's a great quote by Adam Savage who says, failure is always an option. Yeah. And I, I really like that. So how difficult is it to kind of 
understand what failure means, but be forgiving of yourself when you fail. I mean, it's difficult. Is yeah, let's answer the yeah, question straight yeah. on, okay. you know, head on. Uh, it, it, it absolutely can be difficult uh, when we establish our, our own morals, our own framework, whatever we're guiding ourselves to. Uh, and and missing the mark, um, we we don't all have the dogged determination of JP to just be able to push beyond that failure and uh, and overcome it. The Catholic uh, so. will. That's right. Speaking of Catholic will, what about forgiveness, JP? I refuse to talk about this. <laughs> I think That's it's easier true. to forgive our students, right? Yeah, yeah. Like we have an easy ourselves. time offering other people grace for their failures, then, yeah. or I do. Yeah. Um, and I think, oh, of course you should fail. Yeah. And get back yeah. up, you know, mm-hmm. and then when I do it, it's a, sort of a different. And I think that's why I, I'm hesitant and I'm trying to figure out, like, what what is that right answer? What is the the thing that is that gem of what I use to get past that failure? And I, I don't know. Like I told Corey to begin with, it's just that determination. But it takes time. So yeah. fail on Monday. I'm not right back on it on Tuesday, but. I'm at it a week from Thursday. Maybe I'm thinking about it and then moving forward from there. But can can a trophy generation where you get a trophy for participating mm-hmm. um, do that? Can they can they have that determination to move forward? I think eventually, but just like grad school, you have to be beaten down yeah. in order to to, to grow. Yeah. Uh, I tell a lot of my students that are thinking about grad school that perhaps not yet. Uh, you know, you're just not ready to fail. You're just not ready for that kind of being brought down to that core principle of who you are and then work your way back up. I think of it like, uh, to me, grad school was like doing ceramics on uh, on the wheel, the throwing wheel. It's, if you've ever done the throwing wheel, it is hard to center. And eventually, once you figure out how to center the clay, you're able to then form it. But forming it is takes a lot, and you're always going back down to just the mush, just down to the puddle. And from there, you're working your way back up, and you're working your way back up. But you've got to start at the bottom. You've got to be able to center in the middle of it. And grad school is somewhat that. You start off as this big chunk of clay, but until you can get into the middle of it, you can't really do anything with it. And I think that a lot of students, that trophy generation, are are told, well, you did a great job about that. You know, okay, you well, up. you tried. Yeah, you showed up for it. You participated as much as you, you were supposed to. You gave that bare minimum of whatever it was. Having that mentality throughout your entire life and then going into grad school and being told, you have to do it this way, you have to learn these things, you, you need to expand beyond your comfort zone is a hard thing to do. And even for me, you know, I, I tell this to, uh, to the students who are thinking about grad school is that, you know, I waited two years after undergraduate work and I don't think I was ready still. And I was hungry for it. I wanted grad school. I wanted more knowledge, but I, I was not, the, and I think this is maybe more my personality. I was too stubborn for grad school. And it wasn't until the end, until I, I allowed myself back down to the middle of that puddle of clay to then be recentered, I I then flourished very quickly from that, but it takes it takes a willingness. Well, and an openness to allow yourself to be vulnerable to somebody else's guidance yes. in that way. Yeah, yeah, I love that analogy. I you know I spent a couple of decades in industry uh, and and ran large companies, and uh, there were times where I made decisions that were catastrophic in failure. 
tens of people lost their jobs because of decisions that I had made a few years earlier that mm-hmm. we weren't able to execute to because uh, I always had a chance to be at the forefront of technology. And when you're at the forefront of technology, you're guessing some of the times. Yes, you, you are. can do all of the strategic and analysis work and all of those pieces, but but you'll you'll place a bet and you'll uh, spend ten million dollars and uh, and when it doesn't come through, people lose their jobs and and that's painful. That's mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, when when your decisions are not only affecting yourself but affecting the livelihood of of, of tens of other families is. Um, is a is a painful professional experience that uh, the one has to work to. Yeah. I also think at least for me and I don't know maybe for other people maybe this is a place to start in terms of this next generation of adults um, is that a lot of it I think a lot of the motivation is extrinsic until it becomes intrinsic mm-hmm. that it's the sort of fake it till you make it thing but mm-hmm. uh, the idea that you keep trying in some ways because you have to there's not another option. You will either get fired, you won't get into grad school, you won't finish grad school, it's whatever it is. You won't be good at this job. You won't get tenure, you won't, whatever it is that you're trying to do. You won't, you won't, you won't, if you don't just keep going. So part of it is the ability to recognize there are external forces at work and it's okay to be motivated by those things until you figure out whatever it is that is inside you that moves you too, Yeah. right? Okay. Last word on the word. Corey, anything else to say as we wrap up on failure? I do. Uh, uh, you know, I actually do have great hope for this generation. That's good. <laughs> I really do. In fact... Uh, I like your optimism. Uh, I, I do. I've, I've had a chance uh, in, a, in a religious setting for, for a number of years to work with uh, uh, teenage youth. And then, of course, uh, professionally get to work with young adults. And, uh, and, and I do see that very progression. I do see the ability for people to recognize that they do need to own it. And, and, and especially at this 20 to 23, 24-year-old age, um, it's such a ripening age. And, and, and when I come to class and see the, oh, I get it, not get it in terms of the material that I'm trying to advance, but oh, I get it right. in terms of how to create real self-driven personal development. And when I see that, and, and I, most of the classes I teach are capstone courses, and so I get them at the very end and so i get to see the good ones right (laughs) the ones that made it (laughs) persistence and and it and and so uh, perhaps it is that very reason that that i just have tremendous hope that uh, that we will um see a whole lot more success than failure good i like that jp I don't know if I can beat be that. Bad cop now? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I can beat that because I, I too, I feel hopeful of that failure breeds success. I, I feel that students are becoming much more interested in knowing perhaps our own failures as faculty or our, our own struggles as faculty and learning from that, that here is someone who is successful in what we do, you know, you, me, Corey, from that there is this stigma or there is this perception that, well, of course they're good at it because they're always been good at it. They always do these right. things, allowing that curtain to fall and say, OK, well, you know what? I I, I didn't Guess do this. Well. Yeah, right. I, I was, you know, I, I failed this class or I, you know, didn't get this. I didn't fail a class, by the way. Uh, of course I, not. <laughs> I was a perfect A student all the way through. But, but learning that there's failure in the things that we do in life. And that even on a daily basis, that there are little things that happen that are course corrected is an important part. It shows that um, 
we're all human, that there, the humanity has a an up and a down to sure. it. And hopefully the students see that as a opportunity to say, oh, okay, uh, he can do it like that. I can do it like that. Or he can do it like that. I can do it better than that. Right. Which is my hope is always that it's that they want to be better than I am. I think that's a little bit of bravery, right? Be brave enough to yeah. fail. Yeah. Brave the we ask big enough questions on this campus. We mm-hmm. should have big enough failures, right? There is a um, a movie I saw on Netflix once called Art Copy. Did you? I don't I've know. never seen it. Yeah. It's uh it's about the advertising world, and they uh, interview. I think it's Wyden and Kennedy in Portland. And they do a project. They've done a lot of different amazing ads over the years, uh, like the Nike ads and stuff like that. They created a wall that said, fail harder. And it was you know those oh, beautiful things. I think things. you showed me this. I probably have because I love this video, and it, it it's that it goes back to the idea of do you want a good grade or do you want to get it right? So they they projected on the wall, they drew it out, and then they were going to put it put push pins in to spell out fail harder. And instead of doing the internal space of the letter forms, they did the external space, the negative space of it, and they used like two hundred thousand push pins on a 12 by 10 wall in order to make the word fail harder be the wall and the rest of the wall is actually push pins. So you could have done the easy route of doing something amazing, done something beautiful in push pins, but they took the harder route of doing it the entire wall except the letter forms. Love it. And I think that to me, I hope that's the the future is that students will see, okay, I could do it this way, but I could really show you how to do it if I do it along that way. And that comes from seeing how other people have tried things in the past or the way that you would do it and say, well, if he would do it like that, then I'm going to do it like this. Well, ironically, I think this was a great success. So I thank you for being with me, (laughs) J.P. Avila and Corey Brown. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. And that's all I had to say about that. I learned something today. We're all officially kicked out of school. See you around. Yeah, see you.